The Marching Roundtable is an official media partner of Drum Corps International. This podcast is sponsored by DeMolin Brothers and Company, found at demolin.com. This is Tim Hinton with another great conversation I recorded at the Arcadia Music and Arts Symposium in Arcadia, California. Imagine getting to have a conversation with a real film composer, or with the man who literally wrote the book on using Apple's Logic Pro. They're both on this podcast. We're all dealing with increased demands for electronics and music production in our shows. And on this conversation, we get great advice from some of the top minds in the activity. To me, it's, uh, it's all about always going back to using your ears, listening, and like you guys mentioned, the wall of plugins or the wall of instruments. And sometimes it's good to close your eyes, just listen what you have as far as sound. And if you hear something, then you go to that. Uh, you, you, like if you hear something that needs fixing, you reopen your eyes and you go and you fix that. You look for the tool that's going to fix that issue and you fix that. So I think it's a lot of, about being goal-driven. You're able to go so much further when you, when you know certain things. And in, in terms of production, in terms of synthesis and, all, and mixing and all that stuff, learning the fundamentals is absolutely critical because then you can go down further, you can go down that path further and have that ear that you're looking for to do what you want to do. Great information recorded live at the Arcadia Music and Arts Symposium, shared here on the Marching Roundtable. This podcast is sponsored by DeMolin Brothers and Company, found at demolin.com. DeMolin Brothers and Company is now celebrating 125 years of service. Founded in 1892, DeMolin is currently the oldest and largest manufacturer of apparel for the marching arts and music industry. With 21 full-time regional sales managers, DeMolin offers full services to band, corps, and guard directors, including custom creative design collaboration, as well as finished prototype samples and full measuring services for all programs. DeMolin is the official uniform sponsor for the Cadets and Cadets II Drum and Bugle Corps, as well as the U.S. Army All-American Marching Band. DeMolin is also an official sponsor of Drum Corps International. DeMolin's design staff includes the notable creative talents of Michael Gray, Chad Dugan, and Rob Depp. These designers will provide custom art renderings in collaboration with your staff to give your program the necessary edge for the most competitive environments. DeMolin offers its customers a full-scale catalog, including multiple uniform concepts, as well as a complete line of accessory products for field and stage. Find them at demolin.com or call toll-free 800-228-8134. Hey, this is Tim Hinton. Welcome to the Marching Roundtable Podcast. So happy to be talking to these gentlemen at this table. We are at the Arcadia Music and Arts Symposium. You guys have been doing great work sharing your expertise. I'm going to go around the table, just say who you are, and if you haven't been on one of these podcasts, just sort of tell us a little bit about yourself. Yep. So my name is Matt Jordan. Um, so I'm, I'm involved on the marching art side with uh, Music City Mystique, uh, Blue Coats, and Spirit of Atlanta. Um, and then I also teach at Middle Tennessee State University, um, doing audio stuff as well um, within the percussion department. Awesome. Hey, I'm David Namani. I'm a Logic Pro instructor. I wrote a book for Apple certification um, on Logic Pro. 
And I teach classes on Logic Pro and do consulting for Logic Pro composers. Wonderful. Thank you for being here. Thank you. My name is Kevin Shaw, and I am uh, the creative director and front ensemble arranger for Blue Knights. And I work at Broken City Percussion in Arcadia High School and do all the front ensemble and sound design. Very cool. Uh, my name is Fred Smith. Um, on the marching side, I am the music coordinator, percussion arranger for Vanguard Cadets. And then on my day job, slash day and night job, I'm a film composer and do lots of film, TV, video games, VR. I do a lot of VR. And uh, trailers, commercials. So basically everything. Very cool. I'm Stephen Ridley. I'm a composer, some orchestration. On the uh, marching arts side, I've taught at Blue Knights and rolled a little bit and rolled a little bit with Crown. And uh, on the production side, I've uh, done some commercials, some short films, some a ABC and HBO work. And um, yeah, just trying to find a way to put all that together. I think it's awesome you guys are here. So you did a presentation um, at, at, here at the symposium, and we're going to give just a little snippet, a couple of the highlights. So where would you like to start, Stephen, as far as the topics that you guys wanted to discuss today? Yeah, this was cool. This was our first session. It was called The Problem with Music Production. Are we still making music? So we kind of, with the symposium this year, we kind of tried to ask right up front a couple of the big questions. And jokingly talked that we just mentioned that we were going to solve these questions. And actually, I, I actually feel like by the end of this panel, we didn't solve them, but we came up with some pretty cool insights that we would like to share. Um, but I kind of posited the first problem, the most obvious one, was the issue of opening up uh, a piece of software like Digital Performer or Logic Pro. You open it up and it's this interface. Oh, great. I'm going to record myself. This is going to be fun. Record some friends. And then, oh, I've got to learn this uh, this software plugin, this looks really cool. Alchemy or whatever it is. Oh, it's, it looks like it's like a, big, a spaceship. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to like tweak some knobs. And then, oh, I, I got to buy this really cool other plugin. I got to learn that. And then all of a sudden you're looking at a wall of knobs and plugins. And you're, the question then becomes, am I still composing? Am I still writing or am I just tweaking things all day? So um, I kind of posited that to everybody as a pretty big fundamental question for our generation. And we had a lot of good insights. I mean, Matt, do you want to maybe share one sure. of Sure. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I know um, we, we talked about in, in, the, in the panel discussion was, um, you know, separating the technical from the creative. I know sometimes one of the most difficult parts of writing music is, you know, looking at that wall of plugins or looking at that wall of instruments and, um, you know, trying to make a decision, you know, based on your creative ideals for, for whatever you're doing. And um, one of the things that's really helped me is trying to separate those two processes. I'll, I'll actually spend time messing around with plugins when I don't have a deadline or I don't have a specific project in mind to start trying to get an idea of what it can do. That way, when I come time to having to be creative, I'm not figuring something out for the first time. Um, I know one of the kind of analogies that was used um, in, in the session was, uh, you know, somebody learning how to build a house for the first time doesn't, you know, grab their tools and just all of a sudden kind of look and say, like, you know, what does each of these tools do? They, they, they have a task that they have in mind. You know, you want to, you want to, you know, put, put a wall up so you, you have your hammer and your nails. Um, and then you figure out how to use that hammer and the nail rather than, you know, going tool by tool, you know, you're, you're task specific, trying to figure that out. Um, and again, you, you, the first time that you use a hammer and nail, hopefully, is not the uh, first time you're building a house. <laughs> hopefully, you've, you've messed around with some birdhouses before then. <laughs> 
you right. know, and, and kind of messed right. around with some of those things that, that again, were, were non-mission critical. Uh, I think that's the, the, the most important thing is not introducing, um, you know, complexity into your workflow for mission critical projects. And, and just simply, um, you know, trying to, to separate that from your actual to, true creative process. David? Yeah, to me, it's, uh, it's all about always going back to using your ears, listening. And like you guys mentioned, the wall of plugins or the wall of instruments. And sometimes it's good to close your eyes, just listen what you have as far as sound. And if you hear something, then you go to that uh, you, you, like if you hear something that needs fixing you reopen your eyes and you go and you fix that you look for the tool that's going to fix that issue and you fix that so I think it's a lot of, about being goal driven like don't just open an EQ and start mixing because you've heard that you need to open an EQ to start mixing because that will lead you nowhere very, very fast whereas if you start, start by not opening a plugin but just listening and making decisions before you reach for the tools like mm. okay this sound is too aggressive in the high frequency it needs to be a little bit more uh, pulled back so it's a warmer, t warmer tone for example i'm going to use a compressor i'm going to try to use a compressor see 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 if it works at least when i open my compressor i know why i opened it i know what what i want to hear what change i want to hear in my sound so i kind of know where to go with that and if that doesn't work i'll I skip the compressor and use an EQ instead or something, try another tool. But what matters is the goal. I think it's all about having the goal first, then reaching for the tools. Nice. Absolutely. Um, sounds like you're Matt and David, you're both saying similar things, which is kind of what, that's what happened in this talk. A lot of synergy things sort of, for me, right. start to come together. Yeah. Um, Kevin, what about you? Uh, I think, especially for marching um, audio design and uh, there there isn't like a curriculum, right? So I was thinking about how how one goes about learning a craft, right? So like you, obviously you're gonna go to wood shop before you try to build a house. Like there is a, there's a pathway for you to travel before you get to a point where you need to create. And for what we're doing in the marching arts, there there aren't a ton of those kind of pathways that are laid out so at some point we are going to have to open things up and fiddle around and create our own curriculum um and but a lot of the process comes from learning by doing like like these guys are talking about it. sometimes it's you're learning that part of your craft because you come up against a problem or a wall and you say okay well there's a deadline coming or i, I do need to accomplish writing music but at the same time i can't move forward until I basically school myself on this one roadblock, right? And so, and then your career is just a, a collection of those roadblocks and failures and, and, and um, uh, obstacles that you've very gently created this curriculum, right? So, like, I can go back 10 years and, and say, look, I can do all of these things, but nobody sat down and said, you need to learn this in a very curriculum-based way, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what's tricky about uh, audio in pageantry or maybe for people that are trying to walk this path is there isn't you know luckily i was able to take david's class with tony at like maybe five ten years ago about and we were able to go through logic in a systematic curriculum way but that was like after i'd already kind of taught myself how to do some things you know and so that's the tricky thing so i, I do where i do agree yes know what what obstacle you want to tackle 
before you open anything. At the same time, it's a little bit of an unbeaten path for a lot of us in uh, in pageantry. Well, you're kind of you're. It's unbeaten because no mm-hmm. one has trod upon it, and you guys. Matt and Kevin and some other people, obviously a lot of other people too, are, are like blazing the trail, which is why it's great to have you guys here. Um, Fred, what about you? What would, what would your perspective be on the wall of plugins? Well, I think going to what he's, what uh, Kevin's saying is education is huge, um, I think, and not necessarily mean school, but just being a learned person in your, in your, uh, field or in the thing that you want to pursue and for me uh, it's like you don't know you're breaking the rules unless you know all the rules to break that's kind of something that I I kind of that's an analogy I like to use and you know compositionally you know you learn all the tricks of the trade all the compositional tools that are at your disposal and then that gives you the freedom to experiment because you know what you're experimenting with and not that you can't do it away without that, but um, I just think that you're able to go so much further when you when you know certain things. And in in terms of production, in terms of synthesis and all and mixing and all that stuff, learning the fundamentals is absolutely critical because then you can go down further. You can go down that path further, and have that ear that you're looking for to do what you want to do. And if you're just saying, you know, kind of throwing caution to the wind, like who knows what I'm going to come up with today, then you're not really going to be productive. And I just, you know, I think that there's a better way to do it. And to me, that's through education, that's through experimenting, that's through learning, experience, all these things. And that's the stuff that we can do. You know, in terms of marching percussion, I guess there's not a paved way to like do everything on the field with synths. But there is in music production in the studio, and those things translate. There are idiosyncrasies to each, but there's a lot of things that are similar. And so, like, people who are in the marching world can look to resources in the studio production field and translate it into, you know, the the field. I mean, obviously there's differences, and and you guys know a lot about that. but to me, and where I'm looking from, like those are resources to be had. Yeah, like Mainstage was designed for. I think they designed it with the studio or the uh, live gigging musician in mind, yeah, and yeah. that's who. That's mostly who uses it. But you guys basically adapted it. Exactly. Um, yeah, one of the best resources resources I've found for at least Mainstage. Uh, there's a guy named Brian Lee, very active in the musical theater community. Um, so he does a lot of uh, programming on Broadway f- with Mainstage, mm-hmm. um, and so he has a ton of really excellent tutorials on you know how to set things up, and also some of the really more advanced things. I'm um, him, and uh, um, I think he has a partner in his business. Forty four forty four one K is the name of his website, um, but they actually sell. Um, scripts and things for main stage so some of the really advanced uses of main stage you can really dive in and get into those things um but yeah so some of the advanced things that i've i've used recently have been you know kind of following leads of people like brian lee um or or, and also uh the gospel community uh the church church musician community has a huge Huge. following on youtube of of main stage videos so watching all those tutorial videos because because like you mentioned i mean the crossover between what um people are doing in other fields to the marching community is huge i mean yes we have a few little idiots of what we do um, that make it where we have, you know, maybe a few quirks that of how we set things up. But besides that, I mean, main stage is main stage, logic is logic. You know, 
uh, what you're doing with it changes, but the, the, the process is still pretty much the same. Yeah. And, and I, I do want to address, like, yet all those resources are out there, and I guess my point was that you have to actively go to find yeah, them because agreed. that's where the curriculum isn't yeah. set up for what mm-hmm. we do. It's not like, right. oh, I want to learn how to do this, and how do I figure out where to go? Well, you yeah. have to actually go and do that legwork, and you're going to be sitting in front of a computer screen a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think that's, to me, that's the best way to learn is when something's not presented directly for what I need it for. I learned so much more on the path, you know, to discovery of the things that I hit along the way finding what I want. I've learned three or four things rather than learning that one thing if I were to go to an article that was, talks about how to use it in the marching arts. You know, so I, I, I like that path of, of hitting the different things that I don't need because one day I might. You know, one day I might actually need that feature that I remember stumbling across. Mm. I think that's also huge is stumbling across things because I, I feel like a lot of the information that I've gathered over the years was like by accident. Yeah, don't Just do searching. that again. Well, <laughs> I mean, but like little tricks and, and things like I was looking to try to figure this out, but in the process you learn some other little trick that like actually ends up being way more valuable than the one thing that you were searching for and being open to those. Yeah. Yeah, One of the things uh, kind of younger in my, in my career, I I was known as the tech nerd, you know, from a lot of my friends and colleagues and uh, you know, they would, they would call me about a question and 90% of the time I had no clue. I didn't know any better than they did, but I was willing to take the time to experiment and kind of find a way to get to that. Mm. And so while they learned one thing, as I helped them with that one thing, you know, I learned five things on the way to that. Wow. So it's just, you know, uh, I think that experimentation and that, that discovery, I think is important. Wow. Fred. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, in terms of the wall of sense and just being overwhelmed, um, that goal-driven mentality is so important. It's just knowing where you're wanting to go. You might not have a clear understanding of what you're looking for or kind of where you're diving into, but but at least you have something to attain to, something you can judge what you're trying to do off of. And I think that's important because that keeps you focused in trying to figure out and solving what you're trying to solve for. You know, And I, that just keeps you focused, that keeps you on par and... Um, you might stumble upon really cool new things that you wouldn't have had you not had some kind of goal in mind. Mm-hmm. And having I don't that know, goal, that's how it happens to me all the time. Do you find that having that goal also allows you to eliminate some stuff? Yeah, because sometimes I'm figuring out that the goal that I had is actually not right. The wrong goal. Is the wrong goal. Right. Totally. Mm-hmm. So... Um, after that, that all kind of grew out of really one topic, the topic of, of, of technology overwhelming us. Mm. And one of the big, as I listened to everybody talk about this, and again now, one of the other big takeaways that I got was, and from some of our uh, questions from the audience, was our creativity maybe should be somewhat separated from our you know, um, fader moving and like knob tweaking sessions. And maybe our creativity should be taken away. I think, was it Kevin who mentioned he had another rig that was just – just had a, a fun sample on it, or his samples, and didn't have all the other junk. For me, I use the piano to just try to move away, and I don't have any technology on my piano. Um, so that was, we, we found another kind of commonality there. Um, to change topics really quick, we had one other big, um, <laughs> one other big thing we wanted to tackle, and I started that with this quote, which from a great book, I'm going to give a plug to this awesome book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Um, it's a book that a friend turned me on two years ago, and it's, I highly recommend it. <laughs> It'll blow your mind. Some of us have read it. Uh, here's a quote. Uh, if you find yourself asking yourself and your friends, 
Am I really a writer? Am I really an artist? Chances are you are. The counterfeit innovator is wildly self-confident, but the real one is scared to death. Amen. And so, yeah, I feel like it, it, that always get, empowered me a little bit. Like, well, first of all, there are fakes out there, um, and and maybe they're really com- maybe they're really confident with telling you how good they are, but that maybe the people with something real to say are scared to say it sometimes because it feels like a big, a big thing. So we came with that came up with the idea of the psychological. Um, the other big problem that somebody dealing with trying to just trying to produce their own music one way or another is the psychological block of it's never good enough. And um, it could never be as good as what I heard this morning. And David, you talked a little bit about that as far as uh, engineering goes, right? Producing. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly how I talked about it yesterday, but I remember like for me, it's important to separate the, the, um, the creative process from the, um, the critical process the judgment from the creation and the, like if I start creating I don't know even the melody and after the first three notes I start judging the three no- mm. first notes I'll never go anywhere because I'll spend the next three, uh, few hours correcting those three notes and I'll keep changing the melody and they, you know they, a three note melody is not much anyway so at some point you just need to keep moving and I, and I think the, crea- um, the creative process shouldn't have any judgment it should be, just be okay it doesn't matter the quality of what i'm putting out i'm just putting it out and then tomorrow when i'm in a different state of mind and i don't feel creative or anything then i go back to what i have and i start sorting through and doing the judgment part mm. I, I i got that from um, um what was his name Brahini, I think, um, mm. a songwriter, and he was explaining how to write lyrics. And he, and he was saying that for lyrics. For me, it was impossible to write lyrics without judging my first three words or my first sentence. Or, what do I do with that sentence? No, don't ask yourself that. Just write a new one. Just mm. write well, even if it's not a sentence. Just write whatever idea you have. And for, for if, whether it's music production, whether it's composition, I think that helps a lot to just get rid of that judging little mm-hmm. angel behind your head yeah. <laughs> while you're creating. Yeah. So there's um, a book that I read that blew my mind. It's called Hatch. And it's a... Uh, the guy's name is Mc, uh, McNair Wilson, and he's he was like one of the lead Imagineers for Disney. And this book is all about how to actually brainstorm well with people. But the, the thing is, is that how do you stay creative? And his whole thing, well, not his whole thing, but one of his things was when you're in the creative meeting, there's no critique, zero. Any idea is valid, mm. and there's no critique. There's The only words you can say is and, and. So, like, you have an idea, and what else? Let's keep going down this rabbit hole type of thing. And I think there's room for that. I think there should be room for that in your creativity, in your music, or, or whatever you're doing. And um, that thing just blew my mind because it's just a whole different way of looking at it because as people, we immediately want to judge if it's good or bad and we want to kind of compare and kind of be like that. And sometimes we just do it subconsciously. And it, I think it, you, have to be a train, you have to train yourself to be creative and let yourself be creative. And there's time for critique. There's time for judgment, but maybe at a different time. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to speak to that a little bit because I'm in the business world as well, and that's a big thing with brainstorming is, you know, because uh, a lot of times your brainstorming process, the ideas that come up on that first round aren't necessary. And it's true of the design process as well with, with you know, the marching activity, but the, the idea that might be happening with that first brainstorm or the first idea not viable at all you know that's totally fine but that process that you take through the brainstorming process can lead you to the right answer that if if you have something get shut down like fred's talking about that you never get to that answer because yeah. you didn't go through that process of discovery through those four or five different ideas to get to that last one that was the right answer i mean that happens all the time in um you know on the business end when we are naming products i mean i can't tell you the number of times that you sat in a meeting like Oh my God! There's so many dumb names on this list. Mm. But the last thing you can say is, "Nope, that's nope, that won't work." Nope. You mm. just have to keep going on the list of like, okay, well, you know, if we have, and actually a perfect example uh, since we since I showed it yesterday is Mallet Station. I mean, I cannot tell you the number of dumb names we had on that list. <laughs> um, you know, Ibraphone. Uh, you know, like uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the number of uh, the number of not uh, not the iPhone. <laughs> And, uh, and so, you know, I, I'm not going to keep continuing on that on that list of terrible, terrible names. Um, but yeah, overall, it's one of those that that you just kind of lead down the path to like all of a sudden you f hear something like that was the name that I don't think was in the initial list, but mm. let's do it. That's awesome. That works, you know. And then it, w once you find that thing, and it happens in the design process too. Once you you hear that idea, it pops with everybody. You know, you know, all of a sudden, like everyone's like, well, of course it's that, you know, you all know that that moment has popped, that moment has hit and there's just something that's going to stick. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Kevin, what about you when it comes to, we, it's somehow this topic of fear or psychological, uh, I hesitated to use the word block or create, you know, um, there's some cliches, but, um, let's call it the blank page syndrome. How do you tackle that? Um, uh, we did talk about this in the session for me, it's. It's realizing when you get into your the major resistance or when you get into a, a point where you feel like you can't, like, you know, you're just like, how am I going to come up with, you know, this eight minute thing that has got to be, you know, these kids are going to play this for six months and it's got to be the best thing ever. And you, you put that pressure on yourself and the only like, you know, beacon of hope is knowing that you've done it before and... Um, that like there's a process and you just take a step and you, you know, you, you name your file, like step number one, like you make a file and you name it. It's like, okay, at least I did that. Right. So that's, that, that's one of the other things. It's like, Baby steps. yeah, breaking <laughs> large daunting tasks into bite-sized steps is, has been really helpful, mm -hmm. um, in terms of managing that stress level. So anytime I, I get to a point where I'm like, I cannot do this right now. I will say, okay, well, what is the least amount that I could do right this second? Like, what, what is, if, if, I, if I had to do one thing and leave, what is that? And a lot of times, just doing that one thing will be like, oh, you know what? I've kind of got on a roll, and then I'll be there for a couple hours. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you play these little mind games with yourself. The, the War of Art talks a lot about resistance, you know? And it's like, one of the games that you play with your own head is like, well, if I don't have six hours, I can't write anything. Because I've got to mm -hmm. process, and i got to... You know, I got to pace around the room, and I got to make sure that my coffee is right. And those are all resistance. <laughs> all those are very valid things. Yeah. <laughs> but um, like even the other day, I was just like, uh, I was preparing to come to the symposium, and I was like, oh, I'll just wake up early and I'll do the laundry because uh, I'll just wake up at four. Like that's gonna happen. 
Yeah, right. So, um, but the, like you know, bit. like even though I feel like a, I have common sense and I feel like you know I'm a smart person, I will still fool myself into thinking that I'm going to wake up at four and do some tasks that I don't want to do right then. So then I have to double back and force myself to say, okay, just do the one thing. Just put the clothes in the hamper. And then at that point, I've already done the laundry. You know what I mean? So I think it's the same way. If there's a, a section of music that I don't want to write, I will just like, okay, you know what? I don't want to write this, but let me just put where the cymbal rolls go. And then... Then you're rolling. An hour later, yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, I got it done. Uh, yeah. th there's a perfect quote. Um, I don't know if you guys are... You'll, you might have to beep out part of this title. Um, but uh, Mark Manson has a book called uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, Awesome book. One of my favorite books of all time. Um, but uh, there, there, there's a sub-quote he has in there of uh, uh, an author that would have issues with you know, the, the, the writing block and everything. Um, and the, the author had a, a, a quote of just write 50 crappy words per day. You know, because no matter what, at the end of that 50 words, either you're going to be over or, or most of the time you're going to, you know, having started on that path, you're going to continue on and, and do something really cool and creative. But just write 50 crappy words per day or write 50 crappy notes per, per just day. Just do the work. Yeah, just do the work. And, and you'll eventually get there. You'll, exactly. It'll, it'll start rolling. It'll start that process um, yeah. from that. That's great advice. Yeah. Can't get to the good stuff if you don't do the bad stuff first. Yeah, go. and that's that's inter that's great to to um, kind of wrap it up with Fred because I one of the other things I wanted to mention is um, without going too deep into it, Fred also just did a separate session on film and TV music, and I was blown away by because um, I might be one of the only people who's kind of been hearing all the sessions for music production, and I've heard so many people independently say some of the same stuff. And earlier today, Fred, you were kind of echoing a lot of what Kevin said. So the point of the symposium is to get people um, who are kind of in different niches of music and our, the world has just expanded to the point where there's it's not the there's not a the, just the music industry but we're working in the tech industry the game industry marching arts film television they each have their own network of people and the and a slightly different workflow but the symposium is all about connecting the dots yeah. and inspiring each other and, and and for instance david i get really inspired by what what he does because it's, it's so technical i'm learning about logic so that's kind of that's kind of why we're here. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's very valuable for everybody. Thank you guys for stopping. I know you're really really super busy. Um, you're doing all these presentations. Thank you for stopping to have this discussion. Really appreciate it. Thanks for facilitating. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Watch for other podcasts from the Arcadia Music and Arts Symposium, including conversations with some of the biggest names in the marching arts. Find out more about the Arcadia Symposium at arcadiasymposium.com. Keep up with podcasts we're recording and when they'll be released by following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And get our bi-weekly newsletter, which also tells you when things are coming out, by signing up for a VIP membership at marchingroundtable.com. Imagine having your best season ever. You and your staff can learn from an online course with Scott Chandler of the Blue Devils, our activity's most successful designer. The new course is Scott Chandler, Design Advice from Forward March. And you can sign up as an individual or sign up your entire staff at one lower cost at marchingartseducation.com. It's over five hours of great ideas with information about very practical ways to put the ideas into action with your group right away. Find out more at marchingartseducation.com. Thanks again to the sponsor of this podcast, DeMolin Brothers & Company, found at demolin.com. Thanks again to Tony Nunez and everyone at the Arcadia Symposium 
for having the Marching Roundtable there to do these interviews and watch for more podcasts from the event. And thank you so much for listening. The Marching Roundtable now has over 1,000 VIP members, listeners, and fans who are following our podcast closely. If you or your company sponsor one of our podcasts, you'll have the ears of these listeners and many more like them who download thousands of podcasts each month, hearing your sponsor message. These listeners also could see your ad on every page of our website, plus see your company name and a link to your website on our bi-weekly newsletter or where our podcasts are located. Find out more by clicking on Sponsorship Opportunities at our website at marchingroundtable.com or contact Tim at tim at marchingroundtable.com. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach.